We begin a new series of messages today in Thailand. And I'm excited about this because these, we're going to be touching on some of the songs that have touched your lives, both old and new, and weaving them in this summer uh, because there's great biblical truth that is rooted in our songs. I discovered this when Jackie, uh, with multiple sclerosis, it was a, we really didn't know what was going on. It was a tough time, time where we were trying to figure things out. And, and so Nancy and I were there in the hospital room with our daughter, and she was on the hospital bed, and, and she said, Dad, sing to me. Do you, hey, would you preach? You know, what your sermon, would you preach that to me? No. She said, sing. And I think for us, that's one of the ways that we carry God's truth. That's one of the ways we carry God's word in our hearts is through song. And so I know that, uh, that Michael and, and Caleb, for those of you who are, and so we're excited that, that God has also given him the talent to be able to lead in Michael's absence. Michael did a wedding last night in Tennessee. And so we're, we're excited to be blessed in this way. But the music that is selected is not selected just because... It's got a good beat and you can dance to it. Any of you are, well, it's got a good beat and you can dance to it. Well, uh, hey, some of the things we sing have a good beat and you can dance to it. But they're selected for their content lyrically as well as their beauty musically. Because what we want is for you to be able to carry these songs in your heart as you carry God's word in your heart. This morning, I would like to introduce you to someone who is nicknamed the Great Blasphemer. Now, I've got a picture of him we're going to put up here on the screen. His name is John. As you can tell, he's not from around here. Not in location and not in time. As a matter of 1725, which means uh, some of you haven't caught up with him yet, okay? 1720, his mother was a Puritan. For those of you who don't know, Puritans were... They were a sect of Protestantism, but they were very, very conservative. They really, they, they read, they studied the Bible. They gave us some of our greatest literature from back in that period of time that I will still use in my own devotional life because they're so powerful and so anchored in Scripture. Uh, his mother was a Puritan, and she prayed for him, and she taught him Scriptures, but at six years old, she died. Her dad was not, his dad was not a Puritan. His dad was a sea captain. His dad took him on board and began to train him in that trade. And so he went out to sea, went out on a ship, and he began his career uh, on ships at that time at 11 years old. Now, I said John's mother had prayed for him. She had. And what she had, that the Lord would lead him into ministry. But had you known John as a young man, you would have not picked him out and said, hey, this is a guy who's going to go into ministry. As a matter of fact, even when he evaluated his own life and looked at himself, uh, back later in life, and he wrote these words down about himself, I've never met so daring a blasphemer, not content with common oaths, that is, common cussing, I daily invented new ones so that even the captain, who was not a Christian, rebuked me. Um, You've heard the... 
Well, John would very likely have made sailors blush so vile. Uh, he, he, was, he was insubordinate to his captain. Uh, and on board ship, you would think that after a while, if you got called down over and over again, you'd finally behave. But it got so bad that they actually took him on deck, stripped him, and beat him in public in front of everybody else. And he didn't change. He kept getting worse and worse. Finally, the captain put him off for two years of his life. He was a slave and endured some of the most inhumane treatment known to man. Now, if you'll remember back in the 1700s, that was a time where the slave trade was really gearing up and lots of slaves were being brought from Africa. And he had no heart for these people. He had no compassion for these people. He had no sympathy for these people. And you would think that this action for those who were being treated as property and treated as cattle, and yet it didn't change him at all. He was a bad, bad man. Parents, this is not the guy you would want your daughter to bring home. He's the guy that you would out of the house. He was a bad guy. But in a violent storm on March 21st of 1748, something happened in John Newton's life as he hung on to the wheel of the ship. And even though she'd only prayed for him, For about six and a half years, those prayers were heard. And John's mother had taught him scripture enough that even though he he was living like a son of hell, even though he was never content, he knew he was lost. He knew it. And yet he continued to run away until that fateful night as they were on board ship, the ship is, is rocking and reeling with the waves and the wind. And he had already been down pumping out water all night. And now he's up on deck with his hand. And he says it was, it was there at the wheel that he said the Lord delivered him out of what he said was deep waters. <laughs> the Lord delivered him out of deep waters. And he began to understand then the grace of God. Now, he still had quite a journey in front of him as he began to understand. But this slave slave trading rebel of a man surrendered not only to Jesus, but surrendered to the ministry and became a pastor, preached his first sermon in 1764. This is the story of the great blasphemer. Pen the words of the most well-known hymn, we sing his name was john newton and you will find his name at the bottom of the song amazing grace what an incredible story song came about but it's a story of god's grace that this great song of faith could have been written by a man who was once called the great blasphemer whose life was so bad that everybody around him hated him and yet he not only became a a well-respected pastor he became a faithful husband and he became a champion of the abolishment of slavery later in life even though he had actually been on board slave ships he had he 
it's just incredible the, the transformation that took place in this man's life because he decided, you know what, I've got a problem and I need to go find me a, a, a counselor and just sit down and talk with a counselor. It didn't happen because one day he woke this and I can live a better life. It didn't come from that. It all came when he came to understand and the greatness of God's grace. And he surrendered. He didn't achieve it. He didn't, didn't climb the mountain. He didn't grab the prize. He surrendered to the great grace of God in Jesus Christ. And we want to celebrate that this morning as we read to me in prayer, and then we're going to open God's Word together. Father, I, I do pray that you would open our minds and that you would open our ears and that you would open our hearts and that you would open us up spiritually so that we can receive the good word that you want to plant in us. And we pray that that word, once implanted, will grow and produce fruit that leads to righteousness. Ephesians chapter 2. As a matter of fact, Caleb referenced this shortly. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 and one through 10 together. And we'll try to digest a little bit of that today. I will go ahead and warn you up front. There is, this is so rich and so full and so packed with truth that you the rest of the week and God will continue to speak into your heart and into your life. Ephesians chapter two, we'll look together at verses one through 10. Hear now the word of the Lord. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, that is, children deserving God's wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich, he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable richness of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's a lot here, but I want to give you three simple things in these verses. And, I, and I'm going to let you help me with this. But here are the three simple phrases. You were but God and by grace. So let's, let's see. Let's go ahead and start the process of getting this inside. So say it with me. You were but with any kind of passion, any kind of feeling, any kind of involvement. So let's try it one more time. You were but God by grace. You can understand those three phrases that will help you to grasp what God is trying to say to us through this passage this morning. So let's look at that first one, you were. And you were, now you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead. Now by this, it does not mean that you were physically dead at some point and someone went and grabbed the defibrillator and came and shocked you back into life. You had physical life. You, you lived in this physical body. The Bible says 
you were dead. We need to grasp this. It wasn't that we stubbed our toe in the middle of the night and limped for a few days. It wasn't that we had a gash on our foreheads that required 13 stitches. The Bible says it's not that we were wounded, but that we were dead. Apart from Christ and without Christ, we are spiritually dead in our sins and in our trespasses. And and quite frankly, most people don't want to hear that. Here's what I hear. They'll say, well, you know, I'm a good person. And their philosophy is that, you know what, most people are basically good. Basically good. That's the, the people that you meet, they're basically good. They may mess up from time to time, but they have a good heart. In essence, their good this morning has absolutely burst that bubble. Because that is a lie. It is a lie that people are inherently good. Just because people aren't as bad as they can be, just as people may not be as bad as other people, does not good. Why do I say that? Because the Bible teaches otherwise. In Romans chapter 3, we read, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become good, not even one. It's kind of hard to argue with that, isn't it? From a biblical point of view, what we're being told is, listen, when you talk about goodness, when you talk about fall back on this, there is no one who's good, no, not one. And what we're told in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, a little bit later, for all have sinned and come up short, fall short of the glory of God. Now, between these two passages here in Romans chapter 3, we've got a little bit of a problem. We're just partially messed up. We are way messed up. There's none who is good, and all of us have sinned. Now, let, let, let's make this a little more interactive. How many of you would say that lying is a sin? Raise your hand if you, if you think lying is a sin. Okay, we'll see. All right, how many of you have ever lied? Okay, for those of you who are not raising your hand, you might as well go ahead and raise it because I know you have. We don't, we don't really get to any age at all before we have lied. Children come by naturally. They, 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 they will lie to you. They will look at you and lie to your face. They will become in covered with chocolate frosting. And you will ask, did you eat any of the cake? It, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. They will blame it on people who don't exist. It's something we do naturally. Now listen, you go, well, you know, that's, that's true, but lying's not such a big deal. Let's face it. There are big sins and there are little sins. Oh, I may have cheated on a test when I was in school, 
but I've never been a brutal dictator of a third world country. I may have even cheated on my taxes, but I've never held up a convenience store at gunpoint. I may, I may have lied to my parents. Yes, that may be true, but I see we've got these parameters. We've got these these definitions of good and bad and what falls in the categories and what's a big sin and what's a little sin. But the Bible basically says, listen, we have all sinned. And because we've sinned, we've fallen short of the glory of God. When you compare yourself to other people, you may come off looking pretty good. Listen, compared to them, I'm okay. Uh, I, I remember hearing this story. I'm sure it was apocryphal, but I remember hearing the story of a uh, a, a, a really, really bad guy in a town, and he died. And I mean, he was he was bad. He cheated on his wife. He was a he was a drunk. I mean, he was into gambling. He was I mean, he, any vice you could think of, he was involved in it. And he just came and to the preacher and said, "Hey, listen, I we want you to do the funeral." And he goes, "Well, I'm not I'm not really sure I should do the funeral for your brother. He wasn't in the church or anything." No, no, we really. We want you to do the funeral. We understand that you speak well, and we'd love to have you do it. You have the respect in the community. We'd love for you to do his funeral. And they said, well, for $1,000. And so thinking about what he could do with $1,000 for the Lord, uh, of course, because that's what preachers think about all the time, he goes, well, uh, okay, maybe I can do it. Well, we got one more stipulation. We We want you to say, uh, that he was a preacher said, I, I'm really not, not sure I can do that. And they said, well, what if we make it $2,000? And thinking about what he could do for the Lord, he said, well, sure, okay, I, I, I think I might be able to arrange this. And so he got, gets up there, and, and he stands up, and he's behind the pulpit, and the casket's in front of him, and it's open, and the family's sitting out there, and the two brothers are sitting in the front. Sorry, good for nothing guy this was. And he can look, and the two guys there, because their collars were already too tight, their face was red, there was sweat pouring out, their, clinch, their, fits, feast, their fists were clenched up like this, and they're sitting right there looking at him, and he's just going on and on and on about how sorry this guy is who's died. And then he looks, he said, but compared to his brother's. Now listen, you can always find somebody worse than you are to compare yourself to. But that is not our standard. Our standard is something much, much higher. We have a fixed mark to which we are to compare. Is sinless perfection. The glory, what brings glory to God. And listen, that's why why Paul could say all of us have sinned. And we fall short of that fixed mark. In fact, there's only been one person who's ever lived to that fixed mark. And that was the very Son of God, Jesus Christ himself. So if you want to compare yourself to anyone, compare yourself to Jesus And you will find out that you ain't so hot. You are not all that. Many of you could quote the first verse of Amazing Grace. Quote it with me, if you will. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind but now I see and the capture in those words is who we were 
before we came to know Christ or who you may be if you are now apart from Christ. And what he said is, listen, he says, I was a wretch. (laughs) Again, that's a low-down, good-for-nothing scoundrel of a guy. I was a wretch. I was blind. That's who I was before I came to know Jesus Christ as Savior. And that's what Paul is writing to us in Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead in your sins and trespasses. You are a rotting trespasses. But I'm glad that's not the end of the story. Because Paul goes on to share something else with us that we need to hear. But God. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead with Christ. Some of the most important truths we can learn from Scripture follow the but God. Matter of fact, you can do a concordance search in your Bible. Well, probably software. You can't do two words in your Bible. But you can do a concordance search on on your software and just put the two words. But some of the things that, that come up. And let me just give you a handful this morning. In Genesis chapter 31, 42. But God has seen the heart, my hardship and the toil of my hands, and last night he rebuked you. But God will redeem my life from the grave. He will fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You killed the author of life, Peter said, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. The direction of a person's life and even their eternal destination can be changed by two simple God. God can intervene and take the life of a man like John Newton and turn it completely around. And God can do the very same thing in your life. He can do the very same thing in the life of your children. He can do the very same thing in the life of your grandchildren. He can do the very same thing to the life of one of your friends. He can do the very same thing. He can do the very same thing to the worst person you know in the world. But God, it changes everything. It changes not only this life, turning over the new leaf, so to speak, but it changes our eternities as well. John Newton was on was elf, but God had another plan for him. And listen, do not underestimate the fact that when he was a young boy in his cradle and growing up, his mother was praying for him. His dad may not have been praying, his, but his mother scripture with him. Parents, listen up. You want your child to have a but God moment? Don't wait till they wandered. Don't wait till they strayed. Don't wait till they've gone off. When they're little babies, hold them in your arms. Pray that they'll make it through the night. Don't just pray that they'll grow up to be a good person. Pray that they'll go up, grow up to know Jesus and to grow in Jesus and to serve Jesus with all their hearts and teach them listen they don't have to read to begin to know scripture to them 
Get one of the children's Bibles. Read those stories to them. Relate to them. Compare things back that you're going through in life. Talk about what God is saying to you in your own life, how God is speaking to you through Scripture, how God is speaking to you through worship, how God is speaking to you through your small group, how God is speaking to you in your prayer life. Listen, if you want that moment, that but God moment in their lives, you can't wait till they've already gone. They're already grown. You need to start out like John Newton's mother did when he was just a baby. She only had six and a half years to invest in him. But as he held that wheel and and the, the ship was about to be capsized time and time again, do you know what he remembered? He remembered the God of his mother. He remembered what his mother had invested in him. He's just a little boy. He remembered the grace and the mercy of a loving God. A God who could forgive even a great blasphemer. He had for the Lord to save him. There may be some of you who sit out here right now and you go, but you don't know my life. You know what? You're right. I don't know the depth of your sin. I don't know how far you have wandered from God. I don't know any of that, but I do know this. I was lost. I was blind. And it's the same blood of Jesus Christ that paid for me that can pay for you. You can have a but God moment. And I want to share with you how. Remember, you were dead in your trespasses, but God had a different plan, and that plan is his grace. For by grace you were saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. You didn't do this. It's the gift of God, and it's not as a result of work. Okay, well, I like this grace thing. What is that? J. Gresham Macon said, The very center and core of the whole Bible is the doctrine of the grace of God. And if we were to define it, well, let, let me rely on some other Bible scholars who have much more depth of knowledge than I do. It said, Grace is free, sovereign favor to the ill-deserving. John Stott said, Grace is love that cares and stoops and rescues. Jerry Bridges wrote, Grace is God reaching down toward people. Grace is an essential part of God's character. It is who he is, and it is rooted and and related to his goodness and to his love and to his mercy. Grace, if I were to define it, I would say that it's God's favor towards the the undeserving. That's what grace is. And it is only by grace, we read here in Ephesians 2, only by grace we're saved. You cannot earn it. You cannot be good enough. You cannot do enough good to outweigh your bad. You cannot be to the cross as sinners 
in desperate need of the grace of God, in desperate need of the cleansing that Jesus secured for us on the cross, we have nothing to add to our salvation except the sin that made it necessary. What are you going to do for God? What can you bring? So many people came down during Billy Graham's crusades as the choir and the congregation sang, just as I am. I didn't have to clean myself up first. I didn't have to straighten myself out first. I came just understanding that's the only way that I can ever be saved. I will never impress God. I will never buy him off. The only way, the only way is by grace through faith in his son Jesus. Because you see, grace is a gift. It is something to be received. It is never something to be achieved. You were but God by grace. You were but God. Cleansing and the promise of eternal life are gifts from God. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine? Yesterday, Nancy and I had to go to Sam's and pick up some bacon for Wednesday night. We're serving bacon to our student ministry and volunteers on Wednesday night. So some of you may want to volunteer because there's bacon, okay? They make this announcement. Hey, look at the yellow light. They don't have a blue light at Sam's. Look at the yellow, spinning yellow light. If you'll go over there, they will give you a free gift. You don't have to listen to anything. You can just pick up your free gift. Do you know what Nancy and I did? Ignored it. Because I knew whatever they were going to give me, I really didn't need it. It really wasn't some stuff were okay, but I wasn't going to go stand over there and wait for, you know, a uh, half of a Ginsu knife or whatever it is. That we're, I have no idea what it was they were giving me, but I didn't bother to go over there. It wasn't worth the 50 steps to go get whatever it was they had to offer. And some of you may think, well, maybe, maybe it's not worth 50 steps. Maybe it's not worth anything. I don't know how I convince you. It's going to take the Holy Spirit to convince you But you're right, it's not worth anything, it's worth everything. It's worth fully giving yourself to the God who loved you so much. Jesus died on a cross for sinners like John Newton. Jesus died on a cross for sinners like Jimmy Long. Jesus died on a cross for sinners like you. Because he didn't want to leave you where you were. You were, but God sent his son Jesus Christ for you. And by grace, you are saved through faith. It's a gift of God. And it's a gift he extends to you now. If you need that gift, if you're ready to receive that gift, flashing yellow light, what we're going to do is sing a final song. And guess what it's going to be? Amazing grace. If you need that grace, then this is your opportunity to respond. Maybe you need a church home, a place where you can belong, a place that loves people and teaches truths. Maybe you simply need to come and pray. 
and let God know. Just be honest with him. Hey, listen, this great grace gift that you gave me, I sure have been ignoring it. Because as believers, we're not only saved by grace, we live by it. We miss so much of what God has in store for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for speaking to us through your word today. And we thank you that your word, uh, it does not come back empty. It comes back fruitful. And so we pray at this time, in this moment, Lord, we pray that if you are by your spirit, what they've done, no matter where they've been, no matter how far they've strayed, Lord, if you're calling anyone to come to you this morning, don't let anything stand in their way. Let this be their day of decision, a day to receive this great grace gift from you. Lord, if there are those who need a church home, a place to belong, and you're leading them here, Lord, just come on in, God, if there are those who simply need to come and pray. Make this a time of confession and repentance and renewal for them. Whatever it is, Lord, you're leading us to do, this is the moment, this is the time. In Jesus' name we pray it.